I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's time to take command with former NFL tight end Logan Paulson and former Commander's Beat reporter Craig Hoffman. Welcome into Take Command. I'm Craig Hoffman. That is Logan Paulson. Logan, happy to be back talking into microphones after a couple days of silence. You ever had to just not talk for a couple days? I don't think that's ever happened to me. That like that super extreme, like my voice just doesn't work. Like I don't know. I've been knock on wood, been been pretty fortunate in that regard. Yeah, it's not a good time, especially when uh, when you talk for a living. Uh, yeah, but happy to be living. back. Uh, happy to have plenty to talk about too. By the way, you know we we collected a bunch of mailbag questions, and we will certainly answer as many of them as we can but there's actual news to talk about ron rivera doing the rounds on press row or on radio row out in phoenix ahead of the super bowl congrats to ron on winning the salute to service award um that was in part why he was doing a lot of these interviews um but he he talked about uh kind of the biggest hot topics that of course you know he's answering questions and so you'd, you'd assume that people asking the questions would ask about but he talked about a lot of the stuff that we've been talking about over the last couple of weeks uh, on here and, and on all the shows that we do. But the, the biggest piece of news, if you will, the, the one new thing that kind of comes out of this, Logan, that I want to start with is what he said about Chase Young. And he basically said there is a process they're going to go through, and it is not guaranteed that he is going to get his fifth year, he being Chase, uh, get his fifth year option picked up. Uh, this is... From Michael Phillips' uh, transcription in the Richmond Times Dispatch, uh, that's what we did with Duran, talking about you know waiting it out to the last year. Uh, it cost us, but it cost us in a good way because the young man played. He did things the right way. He didn't sit out. He didn't withhold. He could have done that sit-in during training camp, but he didn't. And because he didn't, now we're in a position where we have to find a way to say thank you. Okay, you've earned it. If you look at what Duran did, why wouldn't you think of it that way as a motivator? Believe me. That would be my approach, especially looking at what Duran did and the situation he put himself in. That's on you know Chase Young and the idea of whether or not picking up his fifth year option could be a motivator. As for what goes into the actual Young, well, what goes into is you get an opportunity to sit down, look at his tape with our scouts, talk about the way he played, what do we see in terms of development and group. We're going to sit in with the doctors, with the trainers. Where is he? How do you feel? Is this something this is going to be long-term? No worries. As long as nothing crazy happens, he's going to be fine. It's worth the risk. Uh, we have to go through the process more so than anything else. How surprised are you, Logan, that he made these comments and that that's where the organization is on Chase after they brought him back? He played pretty well in those couple of games and everything seemed to be on the up and up coming out of the year. 
I mean, I, I think, <clears throat> excuse me, I think this is something you have to say. I mean, I don't think there's another solution. I think when you look at Chase's career so far, yeah, I mean, he had a pretty solid rookie year. Um, his second year, I think he came out and kind of underperformed prior to the injury. And then he didn't play. He didn't play for a very long time in terms of uh, this last season, his third year. So in terms of body of work, is there something here that says, man, I've seen this guy and he can be an absolute difference maker? Obviously, his college tape says that. Obviously, physically, when you see him, you, you know, you see that. I think his mindset kind of indicates that he could be tr trending in that direction. But he hasn't figured it out at this level. You know, his we've talked a lot about his rush and his inconsistency as a pass rusher. Um, you know, and I think that's something that I would assume um, really – is frustrating for Ron and frustrating for this organization because you drafted him number two overall for a reason. You passed up a lot of really good football players uh, because you expect him to be the next Miles Garrett, the next Joey Bosa, the next list your top end pass rusher. And quite frankly, he's not entered into that sphere yet. And I, there's been a lot of mitigating circumstances to his career thus far, which makes sense as to why he's not there. But if you're Ron, I think you're saying, how do we motivate this guy? How do we get him to kind of take this next step? And I think the most recent element of your evaluation process is Deron Payne, a guy who had kind of been underperforming, I think in 2022, 2021, excuse me, came off a very, very subpar year for him. And it kind of looked like they were going to go in a different direction because of that. And then he comes out and has the best year of his career. So I think when you're looking at ways to motivate NFL players, like I had a couple of conversations at the senior bowl with coaches about motivating players. And one of the key things is you got to kind of be creative. And I think this is an easy way to be creative, saying, hey, like this isn't guaranteed. The money's not guaranteed. Let's let's do that. Like, like this, the, you have to show us that you're trending in the right direction. And I do think that there is some lingering concern about the knee. You know, just I'm just making an assumption there. Um, you know, I talked to Chase a little bit on the last day of uh, camp. And he said it wasn't in his mind, wasn't quite right. And, you know, physically, everyone said it was right. But he's kind of ne negotiating that, you know. I don't know. He's negotiating that psychological hurdle after a big surgery, which is totally to be expected. So I think there's a lot of things here that Ron needs to consider. And I think right now he's telling you that they're going to try and pay Deron Payne and they're going to try and make that work. So, yeah, I want to circle back to the pain side of this in a second. But here's what I would say about Chase. Um, one, I actually think this is kind of I don't know if you're calling this creative. I think that's giving Ron a bit too much credit. Like I mean, Ron loves to run the same play over and over again. It's like, oh, this worked one time. It right. worked with Duran. We have to do the same thing with Chase. It's like, it's actually, I don't know. I, I understand what you're saying in terms of like coaches in general have to get creative with how they motivate players. But Ron is like, oh, this worked one time. I'm going to do it again. And that's like the opposite of being creative. That said, financially, this makes perfect sense mm -hmm. because because of where Chase is drafted, that sets that fifth year option number. It's slotted. Um, it's about, it's a little over 17 million. Here are the defensive ends that are making over $17 million in average annual value in 2023. Miles Garrett, Max Crosby, Leonard Williams, uh, Vaughn Miller, Cam Jordan. Uh, Chandler Jones is making 17, so is Eric Armstead. Cam Hayward's at 16.4. Emmanuel Ogba's at 16.3. And then Frank Clark's at 15, uh, basically 15 flat. You're telling me that Chase Young is going to get be like a top five defensive end in terms of average annual value salary after next year like maybe no, no, I, I get you maybe man. and so if even if he is it's not like he's going to be a lot more this is it's not like you know this is going to save you a ton of money if you pick up this option right like even if all of a sudden you chase has a monster year he goes out and breaks the nfl sack record like 
okay, you're getting him 19, 20 million dollars, 21 mm-hmm. maybe. So it's it's, you know, 4 million dollars next year, which is a, you know, that's that's a that's a good player, um but it's probably worth the risk. So the idea that a 17 million dollar salary for Chase Young next year is is guaranteed to be a bargain for the team is just not true financially. Mm. You know, I, I think that there's a good chance he's making about that and maybe less over some kind of long term deal. So I, I do think that sure, there is there a motivation now for Chase to go out and prove it. He kind of can't rely on the fact that he's got a guaranteed deal. You know, he can't slow play a rehab or whatever, which again, I don't think he did. I think his knee was in bad place. Uh, and then the mental hurdles are very real. So I have empathy for those things. But I do think just from a pure finances standpoint, um, when you start to actually look at it, as, as shocking as the, as the headline is of this guy that they were so patient with and were so adamant as like part of the future of the franchise that they're not going to pick up the fifth-year option, something that happens for uh, basically anybody who fits that mold, because of where he was drafted and because of the finances involved, it's actually completely not surprising to me. No, I agree. I think um, that's really good in- insight there in terms of the cap situation. But also it's like, I mean, would you, I mean, think about it. Like given his pedigree and given his statistical production, like is like, would you pick up a fifth year option just off of production? And I think my answer is probably not, you know, like, and I think there's the financial element, there's the production element. That's, these are all factoring in. And I think ultimately this is a good decision. And I, and I know, and I don't like talking about players money on podcasts because it is their livelihood. It is their thing. I don't want to, he deserves to get paid as much money as the NFL can afford to pay him. But I do understand the team's perspective here in the sense that they are going to be wise with how they allocate resources, especially given the, the pain extension that's probably looming if they can get that finalized. And, you know, I, I just think it's a, it's a variable that there's it's, it's obviously multifactorial. I think this is the right decision for the team. I think it puts I think it's going to motivate Chase. I think it does everything you want. And I, I ultimately I think it's the right decision. Yeah, and I'm looking at the fifth year options in general. You know, if 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 he was the twentieth pick, right? Because it's by position and it's by uh, accolades. And Chase made a Pro Bowl, so like if he had just hit the playtime, you know, bonus level, it's like thirteen million. But he didn't. He made the Pro Bowl uh, as a rookie, and he so he's got a seventeen point four number you know i'm looking at some of the other edge guys the the only other edge guy to go in the first round that year was chase on to the jaguars and like his number is going to be around 12 uh because of the fact that he's not going to make a pro bowl and if it's that number then sure you feel more comfortable with it right but but you know if it's 13 if it if it's somewhere there but it's 17 in that way like chase's success that he's had uh, and specifically that rookie year, winning rookie of the year and, and making the Pro Bowl specific to what triggers the bonus um, actually hurts him in this way in terms of the finances. So now he's got to get back to that level. And by the way, uh, well, I guess at this point, it's they got to pick it up this year. Um, but if he had made more than one Pro Bowl, it would have been 19. Um, so, Well, I mean, but I, I think if he's making multiple Pro Bowls, he's probably a multi-sack, um, uh, you know, uh, a double digit sack type of guy. He's probably, you know, kind of in that contention of top edge rusher in the league. I think you feel fine paying him $17 million, right? I think that's not even a question, but I think when you look at the production associated with the cost, it just doesn't align. And I think anybody who's, who's intelligent and looking at these numbers can see that, right? That this moment in his career, 
you know, understanding all of the adversity that he's gone through financially, it just doesn't make sense for the team to embrace that $17 million number. Like it just, it's, it's yeah, it, it doesn't make any, it doesn't make any sense. Um, and I think Chase is still going to be great. Um, yeah. but I don't think it makes sense financially at this point. Uh, so that brings us to the Duran Payne side of things. And our first question from the mailbag, uh, Sammy Mayo at Sammy Eat the Mayo uh, tweeted me and said, in re-signing Payne, why is it a question? More mobile QBs require more pressure from the middle, keeping them in the pocket. Really good defensive ends are traded, let go regularly. Miller, Clowney, Mack. I love Sweat. Wish we can re-sign him. However, to me, it's clear Payne is more valuable. I will just expand on that, Logan, to say like, you know, now if this fifth year option timeline is what's happening with Chase, like if they re-sign Payne, then it would seem that one of those two is gone. Which one it is, is, I mean, in some ways irrelevant to the immediacy of this conversation of, do you circle back and go, well, maybe a franchise tag and trade for Payne actually isn't the best option. Maybe there is some merit to having two dominant defensive tackles. I mean, that's kind of how we felt in the middle of the year as Payne was dominating. And then as the season wound down, it was like, ah, actually, maybe maybe conventional wisdom is better. Like, I'm pretty split on this, to be honest. I'm curious where, where yeah. your head is at on it. Yeah, I mean, I, so I think those examples of Miller, Mack, and Clowney aren't necessarily like great examples. Like, Clowney's never kind of reached that production of the number one overall pick. Mack is definitely on the decline of his career. Same but even when he was traded from Oakland, they got a mock, like the kind of return they got for for Mac is not what Washington would get for Sweat. Correct, because Mac yeah. was probably the best defensive player in football, not named Aaron Donald at the time. Yeah, right. Top so three I, was JJ Watt. So this is my thought on the pain thing. And again, I want Payne to make as much money as humanly possible in the NFL. Let me just clarify that. I do think that this there's a couple things here. So let's start with this. First off, his value in the NFL will never be higher than it is right now. And people say, oh, what if he has another great year? He's never going to have 11 and a half sacks again. Like in his career, he's not going to reach that number again. It's very, very unlikely. There's a reason that it's a franchise record, right? It's like kind of this, it's hard to consistently generate interior line pressure unless you're Aaron Donald, right? So his value around the league is not going to be any higher than this. Defensive tackles on the move are very, very valuable pieces, right? So what I'm thinking is that, like, hey, you know, um, the Titans traded A.J. Brown because they couldn't fork over the money for the deal. I do think this, if I'm Payne, if I'm Payne's agent, I'm asking for a market-setting contract. And can this team afford to do that? Can this team have, afford to have so many resources invested in the defensive line? And I know they have a lot of first-round draft capital invested there, but look at what they need to do on the offensive line. That, that, that would be prohibitive of them being able to kind of go out and sign a priority free agent on the offensive line if they wanted to do that. Right. So it does limit what you can do. You have a lot of guys centered around that group. And I think if you're building for the future, which you should be like, you could franchise him, you could trade him, and you could get a first and probably a second round pick in the 2023, 2024, depending on how those allocate. Right. That's how good he played last year. And because he played so good, you're going to have to, if you want to keep him here, you're going to have to pay him a lot of money, a lot, a lot of money to get that done. And I know hopefully he's not going to have this unrealistic expectation of being, say, I need to be paid more than, um, you know, Aaron Donald, for example. But he's going to, if I'm him, like, this is the time. This is the time to strike while the iron is hot. Ask for that $15 million a year, $16 million a year kind of contract, because this is the only time you're going to get it. And can Washington afford to do that? And, 
I don't I don't know I don't know if I would feel comfortable allocating resources because again, when Payne's in there and like look at the last game of the year when it's Payne and um, you know whoever the other defensive tackle was going against one of the best offensive lines of the year, the defense played really really well. I know that's a very small sample size, but I don't think you need two absolutely game wreckers at the position. I think you need a solid role player and a game wreck, and I think you can survive with that. Um, you know, as opposed to kind of dumping all your eggs into one basket, I guess. Yeah. And I think you also have to ask yourself a realistic question of like, is Deron Payne better than John Allen? Yeah. And if the answer is no, and he wants more money, then why would you pay him that? And I hate that for Deron again, like I'm with you, like go, go make your money, man. Um, yeah. It's it's you have short careers in the NFL and you got to make a lot of money that's supposed to last a lifetime or you know the kind of money he's talking about is generational wealth so yeah. like make it for as many generations as possible of your family by all means go ahead right. but if you're Washington and you're trying to figure out how to allocate resources not in terms of dollars to count someone else's money but like percent salary cap I just don't think you can allocate that amount of salary cap to someone who does not or he's not going to produce at that level. So I hear you on that. I do think the idea of paying it out, keeping them together is really it's appealing. nice. It's a nice like, idea. Yeah. They're, they're super unique because unlike a lot of interior duos, they both pass rush and yeah. that skill separates them from just two big dudes inside who are two big run stuffers who like, yeah, that's valuable and you need those guys, but it's not worth paying what they're going to need to pay. So if somehow you can get Deron Payne at 16, yeah, like, sure, I'm in. Yeah. 17 maybe even. It's, it's got to be the right it. It's got to be but the like, right thing. John's, John's number is 18. I'm not going above that. And it's not about like John, you know, and his ego or anything like that. It's just he's not a better player than John Allen. And so why would I pay a guy? Now there are some scouts that probably disagree, by the way, yeah, it's, it's say, pretty think, close. Yeah. It's pretty close. And I think, I think that Duran is going to get a lot of money, but, um, and there's going to be a team that's like, yeah, he's better than John Allen. We'll pay him that. And they'll be mm. fine with it. Okay, cool. But I don't know, like it's, it's real close. And I don't know that you can pay those two guys that much money. And especially when you do have sweat and young looming, like that's the other yeah. part of this is, you know, they've invested so much first round capital in this line that they've got to figure out where they can get it. I think the other part of this, like you said, is like truly what is the return? Yeah. You know, um, I'm a lot. If all of a sudden we get to May through the NFL draft and there wasn't a trade because the most you could get is like a third or a couple right. of thirds, then like, OK, let's let's talk about a long term deal. But yeah. if you can get if you tell me you can get a first and a second. Done. I think I think I think so. I think like if you look at let's take Atlanta for example, they have a ton of cap space or Chicago. I think Chicago probably takes Carter with the first pick overall if they don't trade out of it. Who's the interior player from Georgia? Probably the best player in the draft. You don't need Deron Payne then, but like Atlanta, they need someone to pair with uh, Grady Jarrett down there, and they've expressed interest in Deron. They have the money, they have the cap space, they have the draft capital to make something like this happen if they wanted to. So. I look at this and I say, like, there are suitors out here who have lots of money and lots of reason to spend it on a player like Duran. And there is value to maintaining a relationship with Duran. And I, what I mean by that is, like, the reason you pay a guy is because the certainty of what he's done in the NFL. When you draft a guy, you don't know. It's like it's a mystery box. He could be better, could be worse. You just don't know. So I'm not I'm not advocating getting a draft pick and then drafting a defensive tackle. I'm not advocating that at all. 
What I am advocating is that you did invest in the position last year with Fedarian Mathis. You did find a nice addition in Ridgeway. I know he's coming off the pec injury, but those trust your process. I think I think teams in the NFL, this is more of a philosophical thing. They get screwed up from a cap standpoint when they say we have to pay this guy. And I know that sounds totally heartless, but to be a good GM, you have to carry a little bit of that with you. Unless you think he's the best defensive tackle in the NFL or in the top five, like I would be willing to move on from him. And again, I want him to make as much money as possible. Is that going to be here? Probably not because they're going to kind of be negotiating this Allen Payne relationship. But I, I do think that it's going to be very, very challenging to, to get him at a number that's going to allow you to continue to roster build long-term. I, I think, you know, and I'm not a cap expert, so that's kind of, that can be kind of challenging, but those big contracts that are prohibitive long-term. Yeah, no, definitely. And, and like you said, they've already invested in some of the replacements. So, you know, that that should speak to something as well. Yeah. Take Command podcast from Odyssey Sports. I'm Craig Hoffman. Yes, this is actually me. The voice that you're hearing right now is actually uh, some semblance of mine. That is Logan Paulson. Sounds like you've been uh, smoking cigs all day. It's what it sounds like, man. It's like I took up cigarettes last week and just haven't <laughs> stopped since. Uh, no, just a, just a case of laryngitis. We're on the back end of it. It's fine. Uh, so Ron Rivera, getting back to some of his other comments at the Senior Bowl real quick, or at the uh, the Super Bowl real quick. Uh, Eric the Enemy, uh, he said, yeah, like we're looking to interview him. Uh, we can't right now because those are the rules. Uh, but we're looking forward to it. Uh, and he said, you know, through the grapevine, it seems like he wants to work with the defensive head coach to kind of get out from under Andy's mm-hmm. shadow. Um, I think that's interesting. interesting. And it does seem like they're headed in this direction, that unless there's like an interview where Biennemi just looks at Ron and is like, nah, man, that's this ain't it. Or Ron looks at Biennemi and was like, uh, actually, I've got some questions. Uh, never right. mind. Uh, it does seem like that's the direction that they're headed at offensive coordinator and that the mutual interest is there. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, we've talked about that a lot on this show and that seems to be their guy. And I think the relationship with um, Andy Reid is going to be a big deciding factor in that. And obviously we can speculate and talk about it all we want, but uh, they're definitely waiting to interview him. You know, like take that for what it is. He's probably the most exciting candidate. They're waiting to interview him. I don't know if this is the right situation for the enemy. If I'm, if I'm the enemy and I feel like I'm a pretty, I'm a pretty valuable asset for an offense. Like, I don't know if this is the right fit, but maybe, you know, he's had a couple rounds of interviews and he's getting a little bit desperate and this is a place that's going to give him an opportunity. So, so maybe, but um, uh, you know, it is, it is, this job does not, this offensive coordinator position does not seem overly appealing at the moment, just because of the time parameter of the year, kind of with Ron, all that kind of stuff. But, um, yeah, I, I think I'm excited about it. I'm excited that he's a candidate. I'm excited that they're going to interview him because of the guys that have, are mentioned, like his resume is the best, you know? Yeah, for sure. Um, Ron did also talk about the offensive philosophy, uh, the quote from Martin Mayhew that's gotten all this run in the dumbest possible way uh, since that year in press conference of the two-to-one run thing. And he's like, yeah, that was exactly what I've been saying, which I heard in context at the time. I don't know why this got so far out of whack, but Ron did say, like, yeah, that's at the end of games. Like, sure, if we can get two-to-one because we're up in the fourth quarter and run out the clock, then sure. Um, But they do want to basically get the ball to their playmakers and do it quickly. Um, So, obviously, 
that is something Bienemy has helped Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes do for years in Kansas City. It would seem to be a philosophical fit. And to kind of play in with that, Logan, he also said that Sam Howell is clearly the favorite to be QB1. Well, right now he's the only quarterback on the roster, so duh. But he's, he did kind of push away the idea that they would go out, spend on a veteran just to spend. He did say if we find the right veteran, uh, yeah. we would we would pull him in. Uh, but it does seem like Sam Howell is is headed towards being QB1 in a separate interview uh, than kind of the local press scrum, uh, one that he talked uh, did on NFL Network with Andrew Siciliano. He told Andrew, like, yeah, Howell right now is QB1. That's how we're going to head into OTAs and minicamp, and we'll see what happens from there. Um, so when you take those things together, Logan, the philosophical – we're looking for someone who can get the ball out quick. We're looking for uh, to get the ball to our playmakers. We have a strong run game. We want to use it and then dial up shots and play action. How do you, you know, does to me that says like, yeah, the enemy would be a great, a great fit. And it says that Howell can certainly do the things that they want to do based off what we saw last season. Maybe not at the highest level, um, but certainly at a proficient level. Yeah. And I think, I don't know. This is a really interesting kind of philosophical thing, uh, you know, that I think when I, because I, I read a lot of national coverage of the team. So by national pundits, and they think the idea of going into camp with Sam Howell as your starter is absolutely insane. And I don't entirely disagree with them, right? But I don't think they follow the team as closely as we do. But I do think that there is a disadvantage to being like face to the glass the way we are with this team. And, you know, when you step back from a team building standpoint, you say, would you feel comfortable with a fifth round draft pick being your starting quarterback? And I do think if I remember correctly, I don't remember the quote. I listened to it a couple of days ago. I do remember Ron kind of hedging on that a little bit. He was like, um, you know, we, we, you know, we're right now we're going to go with him in training camp, but we're open to, he, he, it wasn't like he is the starter. It was a little bit more, there was a little bit of flexibility there, which I think is the right idea. I think they like him. They, they see a lot of potential. I think we see a lot of potential in him. It's 19 snaps that we are kind of doing this evaluation on, this kind of projection off of. They need to bring someone else in. Um, I don't think that precludes them from, you know, finding a veteran, someone that they like, you know, Jacoby Brissett, bringing Taylor back, whatever it is. You know, like they might fall in love with Anthony Richardson at 16. I don't think that's exactly what they're going to do. But maybe, you know, Tanner McGee, somebody like that, they bring in. Whatever it is, I just don't think it's like this – it wasn't this like ringing endorsement. I felt, I think it was like, this is kind of our plan as of right now, as of February and we're subject to letting it change. And I think that's kind of how we feel too. Like coming out of the season, seems like he's the guy makes sense. If things can change, they, you know, opportunities present themselves that fit this team. They're going to take it, I think. And I, and I think that that's probably the right way to go about it. Yeah, definitely. I, I mean, like we kind of said with Taylor last year, like a Taylor, a Jacoby Brissett, a David Blau, like those guys are low end starters, yeah, high end backups. And if Sam Howell is better than that, well, then he should start because I mean, he's right. better than a low end starter. Right. Um, and so if he, he can beat those guys out, then then great. Um, I do think, you know, the national punditry is interesting, right? Ultimately, Sam Howell was a fifth round pick. So there's no denying that like, every team passed on him for four rounds worth of NFL drafting football. But from a prospect grade standpoint, a lot of people had him what second, third. I mean, so if, if we say, okay, in year two, do you have a second or third rounder as your starter? It sounds way less crazy. And so I, I just don't know what to do with that information because I think we all acknowledge Sam is far more physically gifted than the average fifth rounder. He's probably more mentally gifted as well. He's certainly more experienced 
Um, you know, he's a four year starter who like, and it's not just experience. It's like, he has a good resume. Like he was really, really good his junior year. And I know he fell off his senior year, but he also like picked it up in the running run game aspect, which we saw how much that mattered when he got in there. Mm-hmm. Like there's, there's a lot of resume there that suggests he should have been higher than a fifth round pick. He ultimately wasn't. But if you look at it like second or third rounder starting in year two, that sounds a lot less crazy than fifth rounder. Yeah, but I think ultimately the conclusion is that he was a fifth round pick. You know, <laughs> teams that. passed on him. You know, thirty-two teams passed on him five times, basically, or four, four and a half times, whatever it was. So, you know, I'm not saying I, I think he's a good football player. I think he's got a lot of potential, a lot of upside, but it is a little bit when you kind of step back and look at it again. Like, not they haven't watched Sam, they haven't heard him talk the way we've heard him talk. You know, they don't have the kind of familiarity that Ron has with him. But, you know, a lot of people are like mocking quarterback. They're mocking certain free agent candidates here. And I think there's a good reason for that. And I think that this decision is um, by Ron or kind of this this outline by Ron seems to be the right thing. But it's like you have to really love what Sam showed you over the course of the season and like really love it. And I, I understand that, but it is a little bit. I, I guess what I'm saying is I like the decision. I think it's probably the right decision, but there is a level of risk associated with this that I think needs to be acknowledged with making a decision like this, like there is with any decision, but as opposed to bringing in, I don't know, like Derek Carr, for example, there's risk associated there. Right. I was going to say, do you, what's the, what's the risk free option? Yeah, they're, they're all, there's all, there's risk associated with everything, but this one is, it has its own kind of unique risk factors, the inexperience, the limited sample size, the change in coordinator, all those different things, like can he handle it? And it's a it's a big ask to ask a young player to do that. And I hope he can do it. I think I, I you know, I, we talked about his, you know, the 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 Dallas game kind of at nauseum, but the quick release, the arm strength, the running ability gets you excited. But it's 19 plays, and are you willing to mortgage your 2023 season on 19 plays? And you know, it, it is it's risky. It's it's a, it's a little bit of a gamble. Yeah, it's just is that the best odds? And that's that's the question. Is like Yeah, what, that's a good point. What's what's better odds? Uh is, yeah. is Taylor Heineke better odds? I don't think so. Right. Is Jacoby Brissett maybe for 2023? Maybe. Um, you know, is David Blau is you know, say it's Bienemy, do they get like Chase Daniel at yeah. 38 or whatever he is, yeah. you know, been backing up Mahomes forever but knows that offense inside and out like I don't know. I don't know that any of those guys are any better than Sam Howell. So, right. um, and certainly none of them have the upside of Sam Howell. So it seems like it would be worth it to go in that direction. Cars in a bit of a different camp, but right. again, like we're talking wild, wild swings in play from him the last couple of years in terms of the ups and downs of it all. Uh, last thing on the offense, and we got a couple of other uh, mailbag questions we'll get to, but I thought this was fun. And, and Logan, it's a tight ends question. So, you know, there, there go your ears perking up. Uh, Nick, uh, at Nick with sports tweeted said, could Washington be looking to add a top tight end prospect in the first or second round this year? Are they happy enough with their young talent? They're already developing. Gosh, I love this question. We could, if you've got an hour, we can talk about it for an hour. Um, uh, okay. I don't think we have quite an hour. <laughs> so let's, let's give it like uh cut me off when I start talking too much. So first okay. off, I think you got to say is a tight end a position that you want to be drafting in the first round. And like, based on just draft philosophy, positional value, like is tight end, enough of a value add, right? And do you want to be allocating resources there when there are positions available in this draft specifically that are more valuable? Like at 16, absolutely not. They should not take a tight end at 16. There's not a guy in this draft that 
deserves to be taken that high. And there's very rarely a tight end that I would take in the first round, especially the first half of the first round. So like right now, this is a very cornerback heavy, very offensive line heavy, very edge rusher heavy class, right? So it'll be interesting to see how the draft falls. You know, I've seen all sorts of different mocks at 16 and guys getting pushed up because the senior bowl and guys getting dropped down. You know, one of the things that I've been talking about um, with, with a buddy of mine is like, let's say the draft falls in a very specific way. Let's say you get your corner in the first round. There is a world where, you know, um, Dewan Jones, where Darrell Smith, where all of these offensive linemen, um, Cody Monch gets drafted ahead of when you're picking in the second round. And then you've picked your DB already, right? You could go safety there. And I also think you could go tight end there just because the, of how the draft is falling, right? There's Kincaid. There's um, the kid from Oregon State. There's all these guys with high upside receiving potential that would just be really good value there. There's also linebacker safety I mentioned, um, you know, maybe even edge, which is kind of a crazy thing to say. But like, like that's just kind of how go, that's, go back those, to the first segment of the podcast, why they might need an edge guy. Yeah. So those are the, those will be valuable positions. If those offensive linemen I just mentioned get picked. Now I've seen mocks where they don't get picked and Washington picks the DB in the first round. And they pick an offensive lineman in the second round. I think for value, that's probably the right decision. Now that's just kind of the draft landscape, but there's some very talented guys. I don't think there's like that blue chipper guy. That's going to change your life offensively. I think there's some good players that I like a lot. But there's not like there's not there's no Kyle Pitts. Let's just say that, right? There's no Vernon Davis in this class. That being said, I do think they really like the young guys here. I think you know I've had conversations with multiple people on staff that are just like we really like what we've got. You know, got Curtis Hodgins. They think he can develop if he gets a little bit bigger and stronger. Armani, I think, showed you what he can be as a playmaker given more offensive touches. Uh, Cole, I'm, I just remember back to training camp, and I remember even in his limited targets this year, you saw the body control, you saw the physical competitiveness, and you've got one of the best blocking tight ends in the NFL in John Bates. So when you see a room like that, the upside of this room is crazy. Like you have, you have three young guys in their second year who could be outstanding. They could be very, very good NFL starters for a very, very low cost. That's the problem with the draft. Are you willing to allocate a second-round pick to a guy in a room that's already got a lot of upside? I don't know. Again, if the draft falls that way and you feel like there's the best value there with that second-round pick, I totally could see that. But I think they like Armani a lot. I think they like Cole a lot. I know they like Bates. I think they want Curtis to develop. That's four really talented pass catchers and guys who have shown a kind of surprising ability to be physical in the run game. So I think you feel pretty good about that group, quite frankly. And I don't know if you want to be investing a lot in a group with such high upside at this moment. Yeah, I was going to say, it feels like Armani's tight end one next year. That's a really that's That'll be like interesting. Bates, Bates is kind of like the most sure thing. Yeah. But he's like your classic tight end too. Yeah. I, th I think if you're looking for a guy that can be this kind of Travis Kelsey, Greg Olson you know, analogous guy, I think it's Armani, right? I think that's kind of the way the staff is viewing him. Like I had a conversation with Kime and he said that there was people on staff who were like, he could play receiver here. And I thought that's insane. This was during rookie minicamp or something like that. And then as you see him get more confident and understand where to go and how he runs and how he moves, you say to yourself, shoot, I could see that, right? He's like, he's six, six, almost six, seven. He runs really well. He bends well. He's explosive. I can see it. So if you're looking for a mismatch weapon, he's got to develop. Again, that's the problem is he's got to develop a little bit. You're projecting, but I, I like that. I like saying, hey, like 
you know, let's use them like they use Jimmy Graham in New Orleans. Let's lose them like they use Travis Kelsey in Kansas City. Let's use them like they use Darren Waller, like a big piece that can line up at wide receiver, line up in line, and talk about man zone reads, mismatches versus man coverage. Like, that's the guy you want. And then Cole also has a comparable skill set. I think Cole catches the ball better. I don't think he has the same kind of explosive measurables that Armani does, but that's another great piece. And so that was something, I think that was one of the frustrations that you and I had this year is you've got these really dynamic young pass catchers. Can you utilize them to dictate certain things to the defense? And I feel like, yes. And so I'm hoping that the new OC comes in and says, we have these tremendous, the kind of the big names, Jahan, Terry, uh, Curtis, right? But or, yeah, Curtis, but can we, get value out of this position with this high physical upside, I think is very, very compelling. And so that could, could an answer to the question, can you draft a tight end? Yes. If it falls to you, like if the Musgrave kid is available in the second round and you love him, you know, he's six, six, he's two fifty five, two fifty seven. He's probably going to run a four, four, like, uh, you got a lot to like there, right? Maybe too good to pass up, but I do think you have a lot of very good pieces here. They get you excited. Take Command Podcast from Odyssey Sports. I'm Craig Hoffman. That is Logan Paulson. All right, last 10 minutes or so here. Let's try to get in two more questions. Uh, I like this one a lot from Big John. We've talked about this a little bit before, but uh, why don't we see more cross-training of coaching staffs, offense spending time in defensive mm. meetings and vice versa during the offseason? Kyle has credited that a lot with his development. Seems like a good oppo research. I agree, man. Like At the end of the day, yeah. you want to know what your opponent's thinking so that yeah. you can try to defeat it, how they approach certain things, how they look at what you do. And I think there's a lot of, I mean, I, if I was a coach, I would hundred percent do that every off season. I would have my defensive coaches scouting my offensive and like do it from a scout's perspective. Like, Hey, if you're preparing for us, what do you see? What are you, what are you, you trying to put together? But I would also have in the meetings, like let's, let's divide up and come up with a game plan and a defensive and an offensive and let's do it with a room of mixed coaches and see how it's yeah. different than when we just have all defensive coaches or all offensive coaches in the room because you just see the game differently and where the weaknesses the strengths places you can exploit places you feel comfortable all that yeah i remember this was something uh you know west phillips was here and he was kind of in between jobs for a minute and his dad wade was coaching in la and he said hey i'd like you to be a defensive um assistant defensive quality control something like that and you know Wes was kind of hemming and hawing about it and one of the reasons Wade said is I just want to see see the game from an offensive perspective I want to see how you view these concepts and how these concepts are trying to attack what we're doing defensively and so I do think that this happens more more frequently than people think but I really like what you were saying there Craig is like in the offseason can you bring in a defensive coach a guy that's very forward thinking and say hey sit with us Let's talk about these coverages, how you think they're coaching them. Because, I mean, that's one of the things to me that that made Sean, that made Kyle, that made Matt, that made Mike, that made them great. And I think it's one of the things that, you know, I kind of has led to the proliferation of that coaching tree is they and I, not and it's not unique to them, but I do think that they really buy into this is this idea of like understanding what the defense is trying to do is like know thy enemy, like know how they're coaching their cover three, know how they're coaching their quarters. And if the, and if you know how they're coaching it and I know your rules and I know, Hey, you got to carry one to the flat or carry two to the flat. 
like I can break those rules. I can find concepts and design that break those rules. How are you fitting this run? That's a little bit easier to determine. The coverage is where you really get kind of that elite game planning element, right? If I really know what you're trying to do. So I think that that's a really good idea. I think it happens probably more than fans acknowledge, but I do think that it could still be more, be more, be more prevalent, excuse me, um, because I think it's such a, a valuable piece of, of game planning and cultivating offense in the NFL. Can you give an example from your career of something you learned from a defensive player or coach that helped you to like kind of flush out this idea of why it would be helpful? Oh yeah. I mean, even just something like as, as simple as route stems, right? It's like if number two, which like, let's say I'm the tight end to the right and there's a, the Z receivers outside. If number two pushes to the seam, my eyes go to number one or something like that. I, I'm trying to remember this was in Atlanta. So if I push to the seam, which is kind of a widened release, my eyes go to number one. So for me, like I got to know in two by two that if I push to the seam, his eyes are going to go away. And now I'm running the route off of the middle linebacker technically, right? Because he's pushing to undercut the route by number one. So I'm not trying to beat that linebacker. I'm trying to beat the linebacker. I'm, I'm not trying to beat the linebacker to my right. I'm trying to beat the linebacker to my left. So how does my route change once I do that? I push for width. Let's say I'm running an in. I have to get back nice and tight to stack that middle linebacker to run out. Or even something as simple as cover two, right, out of a three-by-one, like that Sam linebacker who's right over top of you is going to push to the flat. So I don't want to run the route off of that guy, the stick, like a little stick, like a little five-yard out. I want to run the route off the mic. So just understanding their rules and how they push to stuff and how they match stuff it's like getting the answers to the test, right? It's like understanding in a run front, like when it's a when it's a read six versus a penetrating six, like he's going to play the C gap. And understanding that difference affects my technique and makes it way easier for me as a player to put myself in a better position to be successful. And like one of my biggest regrets as a player from my career was not studying coverages the same way I studied fronts because it – even though I was a slow guy, like when I knew a coverage, I could get open. Even if I knew what type of man coverage it was, like I could get open, right? Because I knew where the help was. I knew how to stress him. I knew how to put myself in the best position. So, I mean, it's it's a huge element. And again, it's something I wish I would have spent more time on playing. But um, yeah, I think it's good for players, good for coaches, good for everybody, quite frankly. And um, yeah, I do think uh, it, it happens a lot. But, you know, I think there's always more room for that kind of stuff. All right, last one. Uh, this one also from our guy Sammy says, is there any chance or thought by coaches we can use Jamin Davis in a Micah Parsons role at times? Considering Davis' speed and athleticism, it sounds like a solid bet, but I'm sure there's more to it. Logan? Right. I think this is something that I've heard a couple of times with Jamin specifically, and I think you got to look at, and you, you could probably speak to this too, Craig, as a strength coach, is there are different types of athletes and when you look at Micah Parsons, he's got this excellent kind of fluidity and rhythm and this reactive strength that lends itself to being a good pass rusher. And when you look at Jamin, he's a little bit higher cut, he kind of plays a little bit higher. He um, He's not quite as flexible through his thoracic spine. He, la he lacks that bend and that rhythm. And what I mean rhythm is so really good rushers when you watch a lot of film of a rusher they understand distance to the blocker really, really well. So it's like, I know on my third step, my outside foot's going to be up, right? I can do my cross chop with my right hand and be in a good power position to establish 
my next step to to turn the corner on the rush, right? And Jamin just doesn't have that kind of feel, right? And I think when you say Micah Parsons compared to Jamin Davis from an athletic standpoint, I think it's easy to say, oh, they're the same, right? But I had a conversation at the high school I was at with a, the coach from Virginia Tech who coached linebackers when he was in Penn State. And he basically said that, uh, or he told the, the, the coach there, RJ Windows, who told me that, Micah Parsons would have been the first running back selected if he had chosen to play running back in the NFL. Like that's the type of athlete you're dealing with right. in Micah Parsons. I think it's important to remember, dude ran a four, three. He had like a 40 inch vertical jump. Like he is like Jamin's an elite athlete. Micah Parsons is a super elite athlete. Like he's like, you know, I hate to say one of one. Cause I say that a lot, but he is that dude. He's like in that, he's in the 1% of the NFL guys. He's in that Julio Trent Williams, cut of athlete and so when you have a guy that's just that much better than every every single human being on the field it's like he can do stuff and so as much as Jamin's an excellent athlete he's not quite the same athlete as Micah there's also a difference between being a good blitzer and a good pass rusher that's um, a great point that's and great point. I think Jamin's a pretty good blitzer um he's got good timing um, he can anticipate, uh, he's got, and it's, it's gotten better, right? Like yeah. he just mm -hmm. understands when it's time to fire, where the gap's going to be. And he's caused a, a fair amount of pressure this year. That's different than lining up over Trent Williams and being like, let's have a go. Right. Um, if Jamin lines over up over Trent Williams, well, Trent's a bad example. Cause if everyone lines up <laughs> over Trent, you're, you're not going to have a great day. Um, but if you line up over a, an, an offensive tackle and it's like one-on-one, -on -one, you know, I'm coming. I don't know that that goes so great for Jamin. And again, that doesn't make him a bad football player. He's just a middle linebacker. He's not a, or he's a yeah. linebacker. He's not a, he's not an edge player. Um, there's a reason that edge players look like Chase and Montez and Von Miller. They're, they're heavier through their lower half. Mm -hmm. um, there, there's a more power there. There's more anchor there. Um, there's more drive there. And Jamin, again, like, yeah, if he tried to line up and, and hit me, I would go flying. Uh, but like, I'm not an offensive tackle in the NFL. Um, like, so let, let me just about, say this. Like, I would like to pass block Jamin. I would not like to pass block Michael Parsons, right? And yeah. it's a little bit because of the feel. He just doesn't have the feel for it. Now, to Jamin's credit, because I don't want people to think we're hating on Jamin, like, he's a much better coverage player than Mike is. Like, while Micah right. is very good at, like, rushing, like, Jamin understands spots pretty well. He understands how to, like, line up and main coverage, and he's in, improved in that area a lot. And so this is going to sound crazy, but a lot of people, you know, say Micah, 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 and they should because he's a beast. But, like, in terms of pure linebacker play, Jamin's probably a better linebacker at this point in his career because of the coverage ability and because of that, the blitzing ability. He is a more conventional player at the position. So – I think it's it's easy for fans to be like, oh man, let's use them like Micah Parsons. It's important to remember Micah Parsons is is that is is very athletically gifted to rush the passer in the way that he is, but it detracts from his ability to do some of the stuff that Jamin does really well. And so that's one of the things about a the draft and a talent evaluation, all this kind of stuff that makes it kind of fun. Is I bet you there are some teams not Micah Parsons, Jamin Davis is a little bit of a rough example. Right. but who would value Jamin's skill set very, very highly um, compared to some other linebackers, you know, in the NFL. Sure. Uh, I think every team would rather have Micah Parsons than Correct. Jamin, but that says more about Micah than it does Jamin. That's Correct. not saying yes. Jamin, like saying Jamin Davis is not Micah Parsons does not mean Jamin Davis is a bad football <laughs> player. Like Micah Parsons, uh, did he's he like, win defensive player of the year last no, year? No, but he was up as for a rookie, it for a long But he was up for it, yeah, as oh, a rookie. Oh, last year you're saying. I don't know. He was close, though. He was close. Yeah, I mean, he's he's an all-pro player. 
People um, like so some I forget some old head that you know was working with Bill Parcells said he was just as good as Lawrence Taylor, who might be the best defensive player in the history of the NFL. Like it's a different it's a different pantheon of athlete that you're right. dealing with. So and that and that again to get back to the the root of the question of like could you use him in a Michael Parsons role? That's why you can't because he's just not that kind of athlete. Is as athletic and skilled as Jamin is, it's a different skill set. Um, yeah. and, and so that's why it doesn't, it doesn't really work. Could they blitz him more? Maybe, but blitzing is different than lining up over a tackle and just being like, go ahead, man. Have, and that's a, a good time. That's, that's such a good point because it, it is a different skill set. but also it's like Micah Parsons hasn't played defensive end since high school. Think about yeah. that. And he's just out there beating the, the best offensive lineman in the world. Like it is unbelievable when you, when you sit down and think about it, his athletic, and he's just off of some athletic stuff. Like when you watch his rushes, it's not like, oh, that's a really detailed rush. It's like he's just strong and fast, and he's good at kind of understanding leverages. And yeah, which the leverage part is is it's a big deal. It's a big deal. Huge, huge deal. All right, uh, that is the podcast for this week. Uh, we'll be back with two more next week. Uh, thanks for the patience on the extra day's wait. Uh, apologies, uh, I didn't have a voice, which makes it really hard to do a podcast. But uh, should be back Tuesday, Thursday next week, Monday, Wednesday on the YouTubes. Make sure you're subscribed wherever you are watching watching or listening right now. If you combine those words, Logan, it's watching it, <laughs> watching it right now. Uh, for Logan, I'm Craig. We'll see you next time. I'll take care. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.